Good evening. Thank you for joining. Um, this week is Parshas Toldis. And we learn all about Yitzchak. And we know that Yitzchak is the source. Yitzchak is the source of all the blessings. From all of our forefathers, Yitzchak is blessed. His blessings are greater than everyone else's blessings, both regarding to Yitzchak himself and also regarding to the blessings that he's able to give. Yitzchak himself, the Pasuk describes wealth unparalleled by anyone else. Avram was a wealthy man. Yaakov was a wealthy, wealthy man. But by Yitzchak, it says, it describes, Vayigdalo um, ish, the man became great, Vayelach, Holoich v'godel, he went, kept on going, increasing, until he became, whoa, he became, his, his, his wealth, his, his, his affluence was unmeasurable. But Yitzchak is the only one that we compare his wealth to the wealth of kings. And we say that the wealth of kings was considered utterly insignificant compared to Yitzchak's wealth. Um, the the Avimelech, the people said, like, we'd rather take the fertilizer from Yitzchak's fields than the gold and silver from Avimelech. Everything that Yitzchak touches turns into gold. So even his fertilizer has is blessed of his animals. That's how how great uh, Yitzchak. And we only find that by Yitzchak that they compared the wealth of of a monarch of a king, and yet it was insignificant to Yitzchak. We also find that Yitzchak's ability to bless. Onward is the greatest, most potent blessing. That's why there's so much drama when it comes to Yitzchak's blessings. And we don't find the drama, not by Avram's blessings. Well, Avram didn't bless Yitzchak. Avram was afraid to bless Yitzchak because he saw Esav coming out of him. But we don't find a particular blessing. Even though Hashem gave the blessings to Avram, we don't find a particular um, a power. I mean, obviously, he was very powerful, but we don't find that in, in actuality. And by Yaakov, there's a great thing that he blessed his children in the end of Pasha's Vayichi. But again, it doesn't seem that it has the same potency like Yitzchak's blessing. And that is because from the all the forefathers, Yitzchak is the blessed one. And the reason related is could be is related because Yitzchak is the one of our forefathers most related with the days, most associated with the days of Moshiach. Um, Yitzchak is going to be our father. The Pasik says. That when Mashiach will come, we will say to Yitzchak, Avinu, you are our father. And we're going to most identify with Yitzchak. And as I discussed in earlier classes, that Yitzchak, the numeric value of the name Yitzchak is 208, which is eight times Yudke Vavke, eight times the tetragrammaton, eight times 26. Because, and that represents the infinite. Eight is the number of the infinite. That's why it's so special this year. This year is the, is the decade of the eights. We entered into the decades of the eights because we hit 5780, which is number eight, which is a very infinite number. It's a Mashiach Diga number. And that's the reason, looks like, why Yitzchak is so blessed and he has such power in his blessing. So let's take a look a little bit at the blessing of Yitzchak. Not the blessings that Yitzchak gives, but when Yitzchak himself is blessed, and to see how we can access those blessings, that powerful blessing of Yitzchak. So the Pasuk describes how there was a famine in the land, and Yitzchak had to leave where he was living. Um, Yitzchak was probably living in the area of Hebron, or he was living, yeah, that's where Yitzchak was initially. He was living in Hebron. That was the last story, that's where Rivka was brought to him. And then, because of the famine, Yitzchak left Hebron, and he went to the south of Israel. He went towards the land of the Plishtim. And he was planning to continue down south to go down to Egypt. But Hashem stopped Yitzchak, and he tells him not to go into Egypt, but he should stay in the land of Eretz Yisrael. But he came into the area of the land of Israel that was kind of bordering already the land of the Philistines, the land of the Plishtim. And, um, okay. Then is the whole story how Avimelech took a liking to Rivka. No, he actually, he, he did take a liking to her and he, he was inquiring about her. But, but uh, Yitzchak said, she's my sister. And then Avimelech had complaints at him when he realized that Yitzchak was 
that Rivka was really his wife, not his, not his sister. But in any case, then it describes like this. After Avimelech puts out a warning, anybody that starts up with that woman will be in big trouble. The Pasuk says, Vayizra Yitzchak ba'aretz ahi. This is chapter 26, verse 12. Perek Chavav, Pasuk Yud Beis. It says, Vayizra Yitzchak ba'aretz ahi. Yitzchak planted in that land, Vayimtza, and he found Bashana ahi, in that year, Meya Sha'arim, hundred times over the estimate. Vayivrecheyu Hashem, and Hashem blessed him. That's the verse. So it's the first time we're seeing prosperity by Yitzchak. What is he doing? He's planting. General, we find that Yitzchak was a well digger. That's going to be later, that he dug a lot of wells. But he needed the water for the planting of the fields, which he used also for his, his uh, animals. But he was planting the fields. So what does it say? He planted. And he found a hundred times more than they estimated. So the first thing is the verse implies or says that Yitzchak planted in that land and he planted in that year. So what is the emphasis on that land and in that year? It's an extra word, ahi, ahi. You know, he planted in the land, in that land. Which land? The land that he was. What does it say in that land? In that year. It's because to emphasize that the stacks were, the cards were stacked against him. Because it was not considered good land. That land, it's not. Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, is very fertile land. Being that this was already going out of the land of Israel, it's the land of Gerar. So this is already, it's not outside of Eretz Yisrael completely, because then Yitzhak would not be allowed to go out there. But it's kind of the suburbs of the land of Israel. So it's not considered the great fertile lands of Israel, of Eretz Yisrael. So it was already to begin with, it was already to begin with a secondary kind of a land that wasn't expected to yield a major yield of produce. That was the problem number one. Problem number two, it was a time of a great famine. So even fields that were really um, had a lot of or very fertile and had a lot of potential, weren't doing well that year. And here you had two strikes, bad land and a bad year. And yet, there was a great miracle. Despite it being a time and a difficult season, despite the fact that the economy was in the red, it was... Uh, very not good, Yitzchak was very prosperous. He did really well. And it produced a hundred times. So let's see what Rashi says. Meya Sha'arim, a hundred times, they evaluated it. They evaluated the land, how much, you know, the experts came and they did a, an appraisal. They appraised the land for how much they expect this land to produce and it overdid the estimation, not by 50%. You know, they, they said it would do, you know, 100 pounds of grain and it did 150. Not even double, not twice as much. That would be like, wow, it did double than I expected. Not three times, not four times. It did 100 times more than what they thought. Clearly, an exceptional, miraculous, divine blessing. A hundred times more. Good. Then Rashi continues. And Rashi says, Our teachers say, That this evaluation, this appraisal, was for the tithing. was for giving miser. Because there's a mitzvah to give a tenth of whatever grows you give away to the either to the, to the levy, or some, and also an additional to that 10% to the poor, or 10% to take to Jerusalem, whatever. There's a whole system of tithing. So in order to tithe, you have to be able to, you have to, you have to measure the, what grows. So that's why they measured. They measured to see how much they have to give. That was the reason for the measuring. 
But nevertheless, it outdid it a hundred times as much. That's Rashi. So, um, at first glance, I mean, what's this whole business that we're saying that? Why was Yitzchak measuring? Why is Rashi, what does Rashi want with the Rebbe's over here? Our teachers say they measured. What are our teachers coming to? Teachers are coming to explain why he measured. So the Medrash says, because there's a problem. It's not good to measure your blessings. It's not good to count your money. It's not good to uh, whatever, whatever kind of measuring thing you have. Don't, 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 don't count. Because the sages say that blessings will always come in when things are hidden and they're not yet revealed. So it's possible that if you got a stack of uh, cash someone gave you, and you don't count how much it is, it might increase in your pocket. And I know it sounds totally crazy. Well, if God is in charge and he wants to give you extra, he'll throw in a couple of hundred more, or a couple of thousand more. Once you count, and you know what it is, then Hashem can't be anonymous anymore. Then it's going to be a very, 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 very spectacular, open, strong miracle. Better not to count. And that's in everything. All blessings in life, it's better not to count them. Because when you count, you set, you set a fixed limit on the blessing. And ein habracha shora ella bedavar hasamui minayin. That's what Chazal say. The blessing only comes in things that are hidden from the eye. That's why you have uh, an old Jewish um, a paranoia of revealing things. Everything has to always remain hidden. The old-time old Yidin were very strong on that. Never to reveal anything, because when you reveal, then you're, you're messing up the blessing. If you keep it hidden, it can be blessed. So the Medrash is saying, if so, why was Yitzchak measuring? Better not measure, who cares? You know, let, you know, why count? Let the blessing increase. So the Medrash says, uh, so he counted it because he needed to do a mitzvah. What was the mitzvah that he needed to do? He needed to tithe. And you have no choice, you have to count. Because tithing, you have to know how much it produced. So you can, you can give the, uh, the thing. So actually, the Gurarye, who was the Maral of Prague, says, that that's why Rashi, when Rashi brings the Medrash, the reason why Rashi brings this Medrash, about the, I'm sorry, this teaching of the sages, that the reason why he counted it was because of the tithing, is because Rashi was bothered by this question. Why would Yitzchak count? Why would he measure? And the answer is, and then, and, and then on the other hand, if he did count, then how could the blessing have come to it? How could he have gotten such a great blessing? It goes against the rule that something that is measured will not receive the blessing of God. Because once it's measured, it's known. It's already out in the open. The answer is, since the measuring was for a mitzvah, that kind of a measuring and that kind of accounting is not going to diminish the blessing. If you're counting just because you want to curious to know how well you're doing, then that's not, a, that's not good. Uh, but if... You're counting for a mitzvah. You need to know the amount. Then that's not going to interfere with the blessing. And that's according to... So according to this pirush, Rashi, when Rashi brings a medrash, it's, it, it's one continuation. First Rashi says, what does it mean that he found meyar sha'arim? Meyar sha'arim means whatever they estimated, it came, it produced a hundred times as much. Then the medrash is not enough another explanation. The Medrash is a continuation. The Medrash is saying, this that he brings from, the, from, the, from our teachers, Rabbi Seinu Amru, this is just coming to clarify why they would measure it in the first place. They measured it because they needed to know in order to give mice. Problem with this is that in the simple meaning of, of the of the Pasuk, on simple, on the literal level of interpretation, um, this isn't, 
it's this idea that when you count something there is no blessing is more of a madrashic element. It's not something that is on the simple level of pshat. So to say that that was Rashi's question, how come he measured it? You're not supposed to measure something, is, is difficult on the, on the simple level. That's probably not what Rashi meant. Because Rashi's not, again, a book of halacha. Rashi's a book of simple interpretation, literal interpretation. On the simple reading of pshat, there's no problem with measuring. And on the contrary, there's no question of why he measured. Why wouldn't he measure? Why wouldn't you estimate? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you do an appraisal? And everybody understands, if you're going to purchase real estate, if you're going to purchase a land, a field, Yitzhak was just buying this land. Right? This wasn't him. He just moved there. He just came there. So this wasn't his ancestral land. He just purchased it. Before you do a purchase, you want to evaluate the land. So that's why he evaluated it. You want to know how much would you expect to yield from this. Then you know if the, the price is right. Maybe they're overcharging you. So you bring down an appraiser who's going to go through the land, who understands farming, and is going to take a look and see the land and tell you what you can expect, how profitable this land is going to be. So there's no problem. Or if, he's not, if it's not by the purchase, at the time of the purchase, when you're ready to sow the land, work the land, plant it, you're going to do an appraisal. You want to realize, if this is not worth it, maybe it's not worth the, the work. Or maybe, how much work are you going to put into it? We understand that a good land, you're going to invest more energies, more resources, more money, more... To, to, to do a better job in the, in, the, in the planting of it. That's a normal thing. People would work that way. So what's the big problem of why Yitzchak measured? It's not even a problem. So why do we even have to say that he measured it in order, in order to do the tithing? It could be he just estimated the land for the simple reason of wanting to know either the, when he purchased it to know how much he should pay for it or later when he's putting his workers in there to know how much he should invest in this area. Maybe he should have his workers work somewhere else more diligently than in this place because he's not expecting too much to come out of this. I mean, it's, a, it's very understandable why he measured. Therefore, the Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe wants to say, that, no, 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 you're getting it wrong. The, 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 the peerish of the Rabbi Seinu, of the teachers, is not an explanation on the first interpretation. Rather, these are two separate opinions. Two separate opinions. The teacher, when, the, when Rashi says, amru, and, the, and our Rebbe's say, the words of the uh, Rashi, that our Rebbe's say, this is, a, this is a different explanation, arguing on the first interpretation. Not like we said before, it's one one explanation. It's two separate things. And that's the reason why it doesn't say, Amru Rabbi Seinu, our teachers say. It says, Rabbi Seinu, Amru, and our teachers say. If you look at the words carefully, if it would be a continuation, it would be more grammatically correct for Rashi to say, Amru Rabbi Seinu, our teachers say, that he measured for this reason. Since it says, Virabi say no amru, but our teachers say. Again, Virabi say no amru, but our teachers say. Implies that the teachers are arguing on the first interpretation. They're giving another interpretation. So, what are the two explanations over here? According to the simple meaning of Rashi, this measuring had nothing to do with tithing. The measuring was done immediately when Yitzchak bought the field. He measured and he got an estimation or an appraisal how much to expect this field to yield. And then it produced a hundred times more than that. That's one. It had nothing to do with tithing. Then there's a second pirush. The, Reb, the, the Rebbe's, our teachers say, that no, that this measurement was a measurement for the tithing. And why is that a different opinion? It's a different opinion because it actually comes out, it changes the whole nature of the miracle of what happened over here. Because what happens is, it will change 
the time of the measuring. See, according to the first interpretation, when did Yitzchak measure the field? When did he appraise the field? Before he planted. You buy a field, you're appraising what it will produce. That's when you're estimating. Before you plant. If, however, the, if, however, the, the estimation or the appraisal or the, the, the measuring is, happen, is, is for the sake of tithing, then you can't appraise it before it grows because you don't know how much it's going to grow. You have to, have it, you have to give a tenth. So to have a tenth, you have to know how much actually grew. So according to the second interpretation, when did the appraisal happen? When did they measure it? After the grains grew already. The field produced. Then they measured. And they did it to, to know how much to give miser, how much to give a tenth. So what happened later? Ah! So look what happens now. But the Torah says it produced a hundred times more than they measured. So when did the miracle happen according to this? After it grew already. It's, that's a whole different pirush now. In other words, it grew, the field produced, it produced whatever it produced, a lot, fine. And they did, and they did an evaluation. And they separated how much needs to be separated. And they came back two days later and they found a hundred times more than what they measured yesterday after it already produced. This makes the miracle spectacular of spectacular. This is not just a hundred times more. This is a hundred times in an impossible way where the whole thing doesn't make any sense at all. Because... If it's producing a lot during the actual growth, that's also a miracle, but that has some kind of a natural... It's, it's somehow... In, it's, it's, it's using at least the natural process of, of growing of the earth. It's growing abnormally, but it's still becoming much from a growth uh, procedure, from, from, from the earth naturally giving, producing. It's, it has an extra oomph. It's doing a lot. It's doing uh, magnificently a lot. But over here, we're talking about a whole new level of a blessing. It was after it grew already. And after it was done. And they came and they measured so they can tithe. And usually you, that measurement happens after it's completely done. Then you set aside the tenth that you're giving for things. And after that, the blessing came in. So now the question is, um, the question is that's a very big chidush this is a very great um, novelty to say such a spectacular miracle happened is a very great novelty so why does Rashi even why is Rashi even going there this that the, Med, the Midrash says so I understand Midrash is Midrash but Rashi sticks as we said earlier to the literal interpretation so why would Rashi goes so far and, and claim a miracle like this when it's not necessarily derived from the verse. Maybe the measurement was initially just to see how much it will grow, and it grew a lot. And the reason what forced Rashi to actually introduce to us this explanation of the Midrash, that the miracle happened after the produce was completed, and then it grew a hundred times more because they measured for tithing. The second interpretation is because there was something problematic in the first interpretation. And that is as follows. If we're saying that it produced a hundred times more than they initially appraised the field's potential. The problem is, what did we learn in the beginning, I just, in the, right in the beginning of the class, that that year was a particular, particular bad year. It was a famine. Forcing Yitzchak to actually leave his land and, and, and migrate. This was a serious situation. We also learned earlier that it was a, not a good land. So you have, to begin with, so you have a poor land and a poor year. So obviously you can understand that when they brought in the appraisers to come appraise how much it's going to grow, 
It wasn't appraised for too much. Right? It wasn't appraised for too much of a, of, of, of a growth. Because as Rashi told you specifically, it was a bad year and a bad land. I said, two strikes against it. So when they appraised it, they gave a minimal appraisal of how much it was going to grow. Very, very poor. They gave it a D minus of what this field is going to do. Okay, now we say it did a hundred times more. A oh, hundred times more. Ah, that's a nice blessing. But it's not such a ah, 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 wow, wow, wow. Why? Because it's a hundred times more of a meek and poor appraisal. Not enough, definitely not enough to make Yitzchak a billionaire. Vayigdal ish, vayigodel that Yitzchak became great. The pasuk says, "At ki godol holach maodi became so great." If we're dealing with a field that was appraised to give very, very little, and it did a hundred times. Now, let me ask you: a hundred times more than this field is probably would be equal. To a, to a regular field and a good year giving and a, a regular yield or maybe a blessed yield, a good year. It's not such a big gedula, it's not such a big deal. That's why Rashi had a hard time, that's why Rashi needed some more oomph. This, this whole story needed a little more oomph. Because the verse already, the Pasuk already emphasizes that the year was, the expectations weren't high. If the expectations weren't high, then what are you telling me the big miracle that it happened a hundred times more? A hundred times more of, of, of such low expectations is not so much. Since the, you see from the verse that the Pasuk, that the verse wants to pump up the miracle, to say, wow, this was spectacular and Yitzchak became very rich and very wealthy because of what happened. It is for that reason that Rashi is seeking some more interpretation, more explanation. He wants to increase the miracle. So he brings the second Pirush of the Medrash. Because that second Pirush, Rabbi Seinu Omru, our Rebbe say, that they appraised it after it grew already. Ah, so now we understand as follows. Number one, it was a bad year, it was a bad field, but yet it produced a regular yield. And that's not even stated in the Pasuk. It produced nice and beautiful. It was a good, and that's, that itself is a huge blessing. It wasn't, it, wasn't be, it wasn't below average. It was a nice average yield. Then they came in and they did what? And they did an estimation in order to uh, estimate how much they're going to give tithing. How much they're going to have to give for mice. So they measured it. And then they came back a day or two later, a week later, or so and so. And they found that the thing increased a hundred times more than that. Oh, now it's already a huge blessing. So you understand the necessity. Rashi needed it because without the second, without this added element to it, it, it seems like then the miracle, the, 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 the gain from this miracle is not, that, is not that spectacular. But now we understand that this was very, very great wealth that Yitzchak achieved. Rashi, however, does not just go with the Medrash. Rashi still keeps his first Pirush first. And what's his first interpretation for Rashi? What was Rashi's first interpretation? That it was a regular estimation that they estimated initially, and then it grew a hundred times more, because uh, the Medrash is a little problematic in that why in the world would Hashem do such an abnormal miracle? To say that after it was already fully grown, God increased the grain to multiply a hundred times. For every measure of grain, you had a hundred measures. A hundred times as much is a completely, it's a miracle that defies nature absolutely. And we know that that's something that Hashem 
is not fond of doing. Even when he does give blessing and he does miracle, he tries to keep things somewhat within the order of nature. Within the, God could do it, it's not a problem. But as within, within creation, Hashem kind of likes to stay within, within. And if it was the amount of grain that God wanted to give him, if Hashem wanted to give him a big, 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 big present, he wanted to give him a, a great hatzlacha, a great uh, success in his thing, why did he have to wait till it was measured? And means it was completely grown, it was finished, and then give him the miracle? I mean, according to the second interpretation, that the miracle happened after it was already completed. And then this miracle happened, why do we, we can ask the question, why did Hashem have to do that? In order to produce the same results, He could have initially made the field pump out a hundred times more than a regular yield of a regular field in a, good, in a normal good year. He could have done that. And then it would be less miraculous. In other words, then it would be less tampering with the rules of nature. You know, this miracle reminds you of Rav Shimon Bar Yochai. I'll just give you an example. Who um, once one of his students um, witnessed great wealth. I, I don't remember the exact settings of the story. I, it's going it, it to slip my mind today. But one of his students kind of... Di- witnessed great wealth and kind of conveyed um, frustration that he's living in poverty or that they're living in poverty. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said to his student, wealth you want, physical material wealth, what's the problem? He turned to the valley and he said, valley filled with, filled with gold coins. And suddenly the valley was filled with, 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 with money. And that's like a, fairy, like, like a fairy tale story. But that's what happened. I mean, obviously, God can do that. He can, he can fill the streets with gold. Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, a tzaddik, that, that, that beyond can, 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 can bring about such a miracle. But we understand that that's very not preferable. And if that's the case, and going back to our story, why does Hashem have to make the miracle happen that way? Hashem could have made the miracle to initially grow out a lot. So that's the reason why Rashi doesn't necessarily prefer this interpretation. He leaves it for the second. He prefers understanding it on the regular, but again, he has a problem with the regular Pirush. Because in the regular Pirush, it doesn't seem like Yitzchak made too much, too much wealth over here. Because it starts off being very little, which the expectation is. Fine. Now, the reason why, according to the Medrash, the miracle happened after the grains were completely grown. And after that, the great miracle came in and it multiplied a hundred times. The simple reason is because the miracle happened because of the mitzvah that Yitzchak did. In other words, this miracle wasn't supposed to happen. Based on the success that God was giving Yitzchak, He gave him a nice blessing. He gave him that. Even though it was a bad year, it grew like it was... Un- it wasn't... It wasn't hindered by the, by the famine. It wasn't influenced by the negative year or the negative place. It grew nicely. That would have been the extent of the blessing. Ah, but once Yitzchak came, and what did Yitzchak do? He tithed, he did the mitzvah of giving Miser as a result of his tithing, as a result of his mitzvah, that's what brought the blessing. And we know that there's a particular blessing associated with tithing. And what's that blessing that one becomes wealthy? The biggest tatzlacha that a person can have in Parnassah, people always want a blessing in Parnassah. Parnassah means a livelihood, in prosperity. There's different things. People are always looking and going to different rabbis for different segulas and whatever blessings. The greatest thing you can do is something that is stated explicitly in, this, in the Pasuk itself. Aser to aser. Give tithe. Make sure to always tithe all your earnings, all your profits. Give a tenth for tzedakah and Hashem will bless. Then, then the blessing will come and the blessing will be 
wealth. And then you see it happened over here. Yitzchak took. Yitzchak is the first one to give Meiser. Actually, a question because Avram Avinu also, it seems, already in the last part, she gave already uh, to, uh, in, by, by the Sodom that he gave tithing, but it wasn't from produce. Yitzchak gave Meiser, and then the blessing came so miraculously that it turned off. It turned his bank account, after the, it was there, a hundred times to be more. It multiplied in the bank. You ever go check your bank in the morning and just find it multiplies? Like, I have no idea how that happened. Don't ask questions. Hope the bank didn't make a mistake. Right? That's what happened. After it was done, it multiplied a hundred times as much. So what's the, what's the uh, spiritual dynamics of this great miracle. The Pasuk says an interesting thing. The Pasuk says, Vayimtza, and he found Meya Sha'orim. Which Sha'ar can mean estimation. How much the, 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 the valued, uh, the, the, the estimated price of something, it's called Sha'ar. And Shar also means the gateway, an entranceway. So when we hear the word Sha'arim in the realm of the spiritual, we think where is there in the, in the spiritual dynamics of things, where is there the concept of a Shar? Associate with the number 100. So everybody knows there's a neighborhood in Yerushalayim called Meir Sha'arim. Meir Sha'arim is named Meir Sha'arim because of this blessing of Yitzchak. He was a Meir Sha'arim. So what is the spiritual? You see, we're talking about the spiritual dynamics of Yerushalayim and the spiritual dynamics of, of Hebron, and now we're talking about the spiritual dynamics of Meir Sha'arim. Meir Sha'arim means a hundred. What it really means is that there are 50 gates of Bina. 50 gates of Bina. In this, in the, you know, we know there's 32 pathways of Chachma and 50 gates, Chamishim Shari Bina, 50 gates of Bina. We know, for instance, Sfirah Omer, you count 50 days, you count 49 days, and the Torah is given, the Torah is the 50th gate. 50 levels of understanding. The 50th is very high. Even Moshe Rabbeinu didn't apprehend the 50th level. It's utterly infinite. Moshe Rabbeinu only achieved the 50th level of Bina on the day of his passing. Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Alei, go up Al Har Nevo on Mount Nebo. That mountain, Mount Nevo, is that Rizal says is Nunbo. The 50th is in it. So Moshe ascended into the 50th level to conceive, to absorb, to connect to the 50th level, which is pure Ein Sof. So there are 50 gates. There aren't 100 gates. So the Tzemach Tzedek says that the 50 gates of Bina manifest in two ways. They manifest in a way of outwardness. A gate represents a exit, an outward. That's why why the gates of Bina called the gates of Bina, because Bina is understanding. So the understanding itself, the the mental cognition and the perception of a. A, 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 an understanding of something that's not called the gates of Bina it's, in Hasidus it's explained that the 50 gates of Bina are lower than Bina because Bina for itself is the, is the inside the gate of Bina means the, that the, the influence of Bina to the outside how Bina influences in a human being it means how the Bina comes down to influence how a person's understanding comes down to inform the emotions. That emotions should be guided by the intellect, for instance. So that's what it means, gates of Bina. That the Bina is ascending outward. So the Tzemach Tzedek says, in the 50 gates of Bina, there is two 
two stages. One of them is that the Bina is projected from upward down. That means it's influencing, as we said before, the emotions, it's extending downward. Another way in the 15 gates of Bina is that the energies of those, of those influences are actually being pulled back inward and they're pulling to and they're and they're ascending towards their source. So he, in the words of the Tzamaq Tzedek, is they exist in a manner of from up down, and they also exist in a level of from down up. Where do we find in the 50 gates of Bina that they exist on these two levels? Descending 50, the descending path uh, uh, gates of Bina and the ascending lights, if we can say. We find it in the Pasuk that we say every day in davening. We say, Lecha Hashem Hagidula to you, God. In Vaivarich David, every day by davening. We say, Lecha Hashem to you, Hashem. Hagidula is greatness, Hagavura is might, Vateferes is splendor. Vahanetzach and victory, vahod and glory, ki koil bashamayim ubaaretz, because everything in heaven and earth, lecha Hashem hamamlocha to you, a God is kingship. If you look carefully in the pasuk, the first word is now these verse, this verse, we discussed this in other classes, is indicative and and speaks of the seven emotional attributes. Gedula is chesed, kindness. Gevura is might. It's chesed and gevura. Teferes, netzach, hod. Ki kol. Kol is, even though it doesn't say it explicitly, but we're going to speak about that in a moment, is the attribute of yesod, which is bonding. And finally, lecha Hashem hamamlocha, to you God is kingship. That's the last one, spheres hamalchus. So these are the six, seven emotions, all hinted to in this book. Seven divine attributes in which God runs the world. But the word that starts before of all of it is lecha to you. Lecha Hashem, to you God. So the mystics say, lecha is a lamid and a chaf. Lecha, lamid chaf. Lamed and Chaf is 50. Lecha Hashem Hagedula, Lamed Chaf, 50. Lamed is 30, Chaf is 20. It's 50. What is the word 50 gates of Bina? And that's referring to the 50 gates of Bina. What does the 50 gates of Bina have to do with Gedula, Gavura, Teferes, Netzach? These are the emotions. Bina is intelligence. The answer is, where do the emotions come from? All emotions are created by the intellect. When one, when a person understands and knows and appreciates the value, the greatness, the importance of something, in our case, the greatness of Hashem, for instance, so what does that do? It creates an emotional reaction. Love, fear, compassion, netzach, to fight for Hashem, glory, to submit, whatever. It creates the emotions. So the emotions are the product of the intellect. And that's why Bina is called the mother of the children. Aim habanim samecha, the mother of the children. The children are the emotions. From all the pers- biblical personalities, who is the one that symbolizes Bina? Who symbolizes Bina? Leah. Leah, Yaakov's wife. Leah symbolizes Bina. And what does Leah have? Because she was a personification of Bina. What does Leah have? She has six sons. And one daughter. Because that's what comes from Bina. Chesed, Gevura, Teferes, Netzach, Hod, Yesod are all boys. Masculine emotions. And Malchus is feminine. So you got, she got six boys, seven sons. I'm sorry, and the seventh and one daughter. 
and her daughter's name is Dina, which Dina is Din, which is Malchus, called Adna. So see how the family is all divine? It's not just a family. Ruven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zavulin, these are her six boys, and Din. Seven. So Bina is the mother. That's why, Lecha Hashem, to you God, from you God comes the source of all these Midos. Lecha Hashem, Hagdula, Hagvura, these are the six emotions. But if we travel further in the Pasuk, Lecha Hashem, Hagdula, Hagvura, Hatiferez, Vahanetzach, Vahod, and then we say, Kikol, Bashamayim, Uba'aretz. Now the word Kikol, because everything that's in heaven and on earth, the word kol is again 50. A chaf and a lamed, the same like before. Lecha Hashem to you Hashem. And then kikol, b'shamayim var, it's everything that's in heaven and on earth. So it's again, the word everything is again 50. Ah. So the 50 appears twice. 50, 50, 100. 100 gates. Even though it's only 50 gates. But it's 50 gates in a manner of lecha, and it's 50 gates in a manner of kol. What's the difference between lecha and kol? Both of them are 50. And they're both hinted to in the verse about the six emotions that are coming from the 50 gates of Bina. Lecha Hashem, Agdullah, Vagavura, Teferes, Vanetzach, Vahod, Kikol, but what's the difference? As follows. What's the difference between the definition of the word? Lecha means to you, God. To you is greatness. To you is might. To you is power. To you is splendor. To you is glory. In other words, when I'm saying to you, it means that I don't even notice the power, I don't even notice the kindness. I don't even notice the might. I notice you. You. Everything is lost in you. Licha means canceled in your infinite light. Nullified in your endless power is everything. It all stems from you, but it's all canceled in you. Licha. It's all part of you, to you, included in you. That represents the emotions as they're all in an elevated state. As they're returning back to their source as they're being reabsorbed in their infinite potential from where they come from. The six building blocks of creation or the seven building uh, uh, blocks of creation from Chesed to Malchus, they're all included and absorbed in their source. That means Malmata Lamaila. They're all from below upward, rising, elevating, until they're included in Hashem. That's lecha to you. Kikol is the total exact opposite meaning. Kol means, and what does the word say? Kikol bashamayim of aretz, everything that's in heaven and in earth. Kol means everything. So when I'm saying everything, I'm noticing the things. Kikol, this and this and this and this. In other words, things are far more expressed in being who they are. And that's the difference. There's two levels in the, in the way we, we relate to these 50 gates of Bina. It's either the emotions are, 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 are gravitating to their source, back into their, into, their, into their reunification with the infinite, or that the emotions are coming out and being projected to be identified, each one specifically of who and what it is. It's so the difference, let's say, between uh, a child when the child is still a fetus or in a state of impregnated in the mother where you don't see the child. The child is within the mother or the child is outside and very much someone who draws attention to himself. These are the two, 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 two directions. Call is outward. And it's emphasized by, because, by the way, the word kikol, but for those who learned a little chasidus, I'm just going to add one more idea. Kol is usually emphasized as the attribute of yesod. 
bonding. And we know that Yisod acts as a funnel to receive all the emotions and to bestow it into creation. So Yisod is all about channeling things down. It receives from the five primary spherot into, her, into itself and it directs and it channels downward. So kol is outward. Lecha is upward. So usually, and here's, and here's the catch. The two pirushim in Rashi, here's the Rebbe's genius. <laughs> so the Rebbe says like this, the two pirushim in Rashi, the two explanations of Rashi, whether according to the first interpretation of Rashi, the miracle was a miracle, but it was kind of within nature, within the natural order. Why was it within the natural order? It grew more than they expected it to grow, but it still, it grew. It, it, it used the natural process of growing. It grew more than they expected. That's nice. But the, the miracle is not completely defying nature. The second interpretation of Rashi that he's bringing from the teachers, which is after they already counted it and there's a set amount, suddenly, boom, a miracle out of nowhere, an impossibility, something that you can't explain in any natural cause of how grain multiplies a hundred times the amount. It cannot happen. It completely defies nature. These two pirushim of what happened is... Because the hundred, the estimation of the hundred, the spiritual root of the miracle are the hundred powers of Bina, which is 50 and 50, half and half. And there is a difference between the two 50s. And here's the genius. The 50, energy, the 50 pathways of Bina or the 50 gates of Bina in which the Bina is projected outward. Since it's directed towards creation, and creation means God is setting a certain limited system of how things are systemized and, and developed, including the laws of nature, even when you have a big influx of a blessing, those blessings are kind of camouflaged, included, and part of nature. They can't bust nature. It's, it's still... It's still it's contained within the natural order because the miracle is coming from the 50 gates of Bina which the 50 gates of Bina are being projected outward into a fixed, definitive, specified state of the six, seven building blocks of creation as we spoke earlier. But included in the hundred, in the Meya Sha'arim, in the hundred, in the hundred gates, in the hundred times as much, is another 50. What's the second time 50? The second time 50 are these same 50 gates. But not when they're going down, but when they're rising upward to be re-included in their infinite, un undefined source. And Hashem is omnipotent. And Hashem has no definitions. And therefore from Him can come absolutely impossible things. And if a miracle is coming from the other 50 gates of Bina, meaning the 50 gates of Bina as they're standing in an upward state, in a reabsorption in the Ain Sof, as they're becoming included in God, over there there's no limitations and there's no boundaries. So on that level, you have the second Pirish of, of, of Rashi. That the miracle happened after it was counted already. <laughs> it grew a certain amount. Then they came back. It was a hundred it was, it was, it was times as much. How did that happen? Ah, there's no... <laughs> when you're tapping this level, there is no limitations, no boundaries, no systems that we have to, con that we have to conform with. It's completely beyond, beyond, beyond. So you see how in the... In the, in the mystical interpretation of the two meanings of Meya Sha'arim, not two, how you comprise a hundred gates, it's the fifty downward and the fifty upward, this will explain the two Pirushim of Rashi. If the miracle is a more natural, a blessing within nature, or a blessing that supersedes nature completely. How does one take the fifty gates of Bina? that are in a projected state 
And how does one take those 50 gates and turn them around to be elevated back in their source and to bestow blessings and energy from their absorbed state in God? That means with an infinite boundless potential. Ah, that's when you do a mitzvah. When you're tithing, you're lifting something from the creation and you're giving it to God. When you're taking 10% of your tzedakah, Temp, sorry, 10% of your earnings, whether it's 10% of your, of your paycheck, 10% of uh, the, 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 the profit you made in business, or whatever it is, you take 10% of it, and you're giving it for tzedakah, you're thinking you're doing a physical act. You're not just doing a physical act. You're rewiring the entire underlying fundamental ch channels of creation. Because you're taking these projected energies and you're nullifying them to God's will, which means you're reabsorbing it into the Ain't Sof. You're taking from a state of kol, the 50 that are pronounced as everything, and you're making it l'cha Hashem, to you God. I'm giving it to you because I recognize your truth. You're lifting them back up into their infinite source. And then what that will do is that can bring a miracle that has no... No explanation at all, which you wonder, how in the world did that happen? There's no explanation. It completely defies nature. L'cha Hashem, through the mitzvah of Meiser. Through the mitzvah of Meiser. This is interpretation. The Rebbe says, in the name, where he's building on that explanation of the Tzemach Tzedek. So I was looking around a little bit in the Hasidic Sfarim, uh, and I found mamish the, 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 the foundations of the same of this same vote that the Meir Sha'aram are two times 50 bina, in the Sefer Oyev Yisrael from the Aptarov. So he explained, Ma, I, I, it seems like he's the same ideas, because he's also wondered, how do you give 100 Sha'aram if there's only 50 gates of bina? How do we have 100? So he explains that there is the 50 gates, the way the 50 gates are there from the way God makes it, and then there's the 50 gates that the tzaddik is able to make. In other words, the, the tzaddik, by, 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 by through his service of God and seeking out Hashem and everything that he's doing, he's, per, he's opening up another 50. He says the 50 gates of Bina are in everything. Every single thing you own, every single object in the world has 50 gates. Because every, everything is made up of... The, 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 create, the flow of energy from God comes from Chachma. It begins as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a kernel of an idea of Chachma. And from Chachma it goes into Bina. And from Bina comes the emotions, which are the time and space, which make up the substance of everything that exists. So he says, embedded in the DNA of every creature and every being is the 50 gates of Bina. He says, but a tzaddik breaks looks for the Bina in everything, for the, the godly dimension in everything, and therefore he opens up another 50 gates in everything. So it becomes 100. So it's like 50 gates It's the same idea like the Tzemach Tzedek. 50 gates lamata and 50 gates lamata. 50 gates from down up, which means we produce or at least we uncover the deeper element of the 50 gates where the 50 gates are not are not defined, but the 50 gates are inward and therefore connected to their truest source and the source has no rules and regulations and therefore anything can happen. So therefore, what does this all lead us? We're all grandchildren of Yitzchak. If he can do it, we can do it. We have Yitzchak in our DNA. If we follow in Yitzchak's path, and we surrender everything we own to Hashem. And we are willing to do miser, the tenth, the tithing, with joy, with happiness, with the sense of l'cha Hashem to you, God. Hagdula is, is the greatness and so forth and so forth that really all belongs to Hashem. Then we can expect such blessings that it's not just that we have atzlacha in our actions. But there are miracles that happen that are just not at all, that you can't even explain. Like you have Yitzchak's story. And that's a lesson for each and every one of us. We're all possible, especially as we're entering this year. I think it's even more appropriate than any other time. This year, each and every single one of us holds the key to this infinite dimension, to Yitzchak, because we're entering in the zone of Yitzchak, of the number eights, 
which I discussed, is so connected to Yitzchak, we have the, the key to this. So you can't build on what happened last year. There are people who are spiritually burnt. There are people who walk around grudging, and they have this thing, I tried giving a tenth of tzedakah, and I didn't become wealthy. I tried doing that. I did it 10 years ago. I did it 20 years ago. I did it 30 years. Irrelevant. Try it this year. Do it this year. So we're in a whole different plane. We're in a whole different zone. Because we're, 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 we're in Yitzchak's territory. We're in the number eight. We're in a place that, is, is that time itself has risen behind, be, beyond time. And therefore, one thing is for sure that if you gave tzedakah, it brought you blessing. Maybe one is, for whatever reason, is not looking at their own blessings that God has given you. So for sure we've gotten blessings. But this year, the potential that we have for exponentially growing everything that we own and everything that we have is off the charts. There is a whole new potential. And uh, we shouldn't feel stuck by what was. We're entering into the time of infinite wealth and infinite blessing, where creation and the Abishter and God merge to a point that the creation can actually bend and turn in all directions and up and do opposite, do things that was feet was was up until now time and space did not allow, and now it now it can happen. Blessings can come because we're, we're in a different zone already. We're in Yitzchak's zone. So may Hashem help that we should actually tap it and realize that it's available for all of us. And let's go and become crazy, crazy wealthy and crazy rich. Now!